0: glad to be with you this morning. James chapter 1, last week we started a series called Devoted, which is a series on the spiritual disciplines. And um, this morning we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of biblical intake, but with a little different perspective than most sermons you would uh, would likely hear on Bible intake. Uh, The book of James I love very much, Um, If you are a slow reader as I am, it would take you about 30 minutes to read the entire five chapters. It's not a long book, but James is packed full of some good material, and I love the book of James for two main reasons. The first is that um, he wrote very straightforward so you don't have to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of figuring or a lot of trying to uh, uh, figure out what James is saying. He, he is very straightforward in his approach. But the second reason I like the book of James is not only is he straightforward, uh, he also doesn't hold anything back. Um, so when he is writing, he, is, he does not mince words. He's not trying to make you feel good on the inside. He wants to just simply tell you what you should and shouldn't do according to God's standards. It was so practical, honestly, that for about the first century, um, some people in the first century church didn't even think the book of James needed to be in Scripture because it was so straightforward and not as much theoretical, but it made it in there by God's grace. Thankfully so, because it is not um, in competition with Um, the idea of grace, instead he tries to tell us how we live out our faith. The book of James is also known as the New Testament Proverbs. Um, Proverbs are short statements that uh, kind of are meant to guide you in a certain direction, and the book of James is the New Testament version, sort of, of the book of Proverbs. As I mentioned, today's message is going to be a little different than a typical sermon on Bible intake. Last week, we started this series on what it means to be a devoted follower of Christ. And next week, you'll hear a message on prayer. And from from then on, you'll hear messages on these different disciplines that it takes to be a devoted follower of Christ. And one of those disciplines that it takes is honestly reading the Bible, hearing the Word, and then doing something about that. James doesn't approach it from the perspective of how we should read the Word, though that is highly important. Um, James is telling us that if you read the Word, you must live it out. D.L. Moody, a, a prominent evangelist and pastor in the late 19th century, uh, made this statement. Every Bible should be bound in shoe leather. When you read that, uh, you know if you're, if you're like me, I don't wear shoes with a lot of leather. I think mine are actually made a canvas this morning. But, but um, his whole purpose of saying this is this. As you go, as you live, as you walk your day-to-day life, the truths of Scripture must go with you. They cannot close when your Bible closes and stay there. The truths that God brings out of His Word must go into your mind, down into your heart, and out in your actions. They can't simply stay here. And this principle can be found in no better place than the book of James, particularly in this passage that we're looking at this morning. The idea that we're looking at is that what you read and study must ultimately impact how you live. Genuine Christianity, genuine Christianity is truth put into practice. Truth put into practice. Last week we began this series I mentioned, and we're looking at the very notion that a devoted follower of Christ has everything to do with knowing the word and then doing the word. I would say as I've ministered to students now who are um, in their their mid-twenties, all the way down to some some, uh, some of my 11-year-olds that I have currently, not just this generation, but all of us are in a generation now that I would say one of the biggest blind spots of today's time is that we have the potential to know more and have access to more scripture than ever before yet I would say at some point there's a missing link between actually knowing it, having the opportunity to read it, and then actually applying the truths on a daily basis. We can Google Scripture. We can actually type into Google, what does this passage mean? And we can find something, yet there often is a missing link between reading it, figuring out what it means, and then living it out. And if that's ever been you, That's where we find ourselves today. If you've ever struggled or battled with the idea of knowing what the Word says and then doing what the Word says, this message is for you. James gives us ten things, and I wanted to have a ten-point sermon, but what I decided to do was give you a two-point sermon with four sub-points in each. So that's the way I'm going to approach it this morning. We have two points today, but James gives us ten things, and he really gives us commands that I strongly encourage us to hear the word, receive the word, and do the word. The first command is this, hear the word of God. <clears throat> James says, be a hearer of the word of God. He doesn't end there, and we'll get to that later. Believe it or not, I will tell you there are five things that James mentions that actually you must do in order to hear the word. In order to actually hear the Word of God, five things you have to do. The first two, I put in one statement. He says in verse 19, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is so counterintuitive in 2019, isn't it? The, the, uh, social media has, has made it such that you have an opinion, I have an opinion, and it is incumbent upon me to get my opinion out there so that you know what I think about something, right? That's what 2019 tells us. You tell me your opinion, I'll tell you mine. Though I may not listen to yours, you need to listen to mine. That's, what I, that's, our, that, that's 2019. As a matter of fact, how many of you, when you are in a debate with someone, or you're in a passionate conversation, or let's just call it what it is, you're in an argument with somebody, and you um, are in that argument with someone, <clears throat> and they are telling you their side of the story and you're nodding saying "Uh uh-huh uh-huh but you're not listening you're actually formulating what you're going to say next how many of you do that and I would say the rest of you are lying everybody does that at some point it is hard for us to actually listen instead we sit there or stand there and we are just waiting to get to say what we want to say that attitude that James says is entirely wrong I've honestly, I, I'm, I am that guy. I, I, I want to say what I need to say next. And I've literally had to train. I learned this a few years ago. Train myself that when someone is speaking to me, I have, if, if I do this, that means I've just lost track somewhere along the line if I'm talking to you. But I've trained myself to not even say, mm-hmm. I actually try to listen completely without saying anything. Because if I don't, I will be thinking of something else. So I've had to do this. This is not a discipline James is just saying. He's saying the attitude behind this discipline matters. Are you quick to speak and slow to listen? Because people who always must be heard are likely not listening. This this kind of person, we all know this kind of person. They, they, They always must get a word in. Maybe they're a story topper or maybe they just won't shut up. I don't know. But they're a person who always must get a word in. But James, and and, and I think we could pull this out of this passage, when when you're quick to speak and slow to hear, you are likely, because you must get your word in so full of yourself, that it's going to be hard for you to actually hear what God is saying. James is saying be quick to hear and slow to speak. And that's the attitude we must, uh, must approach God's word with. The third command, you'll see on the second bullet point, is be slow to anger and be slow to anger. Anger itself isn't, isn't sinful. <clears throat> there should be some things that make you angry. If you see someone being bullied, it should make you angry. If you see someone getting hurt, and it's an injustice, that should make you angry. If you see something happening that is wrong, it should make you angry. Anger in itself isn't isn't bad as a matter of fact Ephesians 426 tells us that anger itself isn't bad but instead quick-tempered selfish anger shows a lack of trust for God and a lack of love for others how can i say that because if you are so quick-tempered and it is easier for you to just fly off the ma- fly off the handle mad it is f- partially to do with the fact that you aren't trusting God first with your situation now, that may not be all that there is, but that's part of it. But quick-tempered, selfish anger shows lack of trust for God and lack of love for others. James says man's anger doesn't produce righteousness. The righteousness, the word here, it doesn't mean like positional righteousness, like am I saved or not. James says that man's anger doesn't produce the right way of life, living in accordance with what honors God. Man's anger doesn't do that. An angry attitude does not produce righteousness. As a matter of fact, James 3.18, a couple of chapters later, says that those who sow peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is an attitude here. I would add that if your attitude is is not primarily linked with with gratitude or thankfulness, if you don't find yourself being thankful or being uh, grateful often, you'll become so inwardly focused that you'll eventually be saturated with bitterness and anger because focus is entirely on you. And angry people can't hear the word because they're too wrapped up up in themselves to actually hear what God is trying to say. The fourth thing we see is this. In order to do the word, James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The word here for, for, for put away literally means like taking off an old dirty shirt because there's something on you that's nasty, so you take it off, and you put on a new one. I got to experience this about a month ago, almost a month ago. Um, I, I have a 15-month-old son, and um, it was a Sunday night, and I was at youth on Sunday night, meets at 5 in the other building. And I was over there, and my wife called and said, hey, I'm not going to make it tonight. Lucas, that's my son, he has a fever, has a fever." And, and he just seems to, to not be feeling so well. So um, go through youth and everything and, and get done and go home. And a matter of fact, he did have a fever. Yeah, he, he had a high fever. And um, you know he's just laying there kind of chilling in nothing but his diaper. I'm just like, man, you got it made. And, and he just laying there. And I'm holding him. And I, he needs some medicine. So I, I, I carry him in there to the kitchen with me. And as I step into the kitchen, um, I just remember hearing. And that's all I heard. And I did pay it attention, but I didn't know necessarily that what was going to happen next would happen so quickly. And I remember um, immediately um, feeling something warm on my arm. And then the next sound I hear, and I'm sorry if this bothers you, but I want you to experience my pain. The next sound that I hear was, and I look down and this, uh, this just pile of vomit is on my floor, all over my cabinets, on my shirt, and on my socks. So I can't handle that kind of stuff. I, it, it bothers me. I can't do it. So I immediately do like this and say, Whitney, you got to take him. And what do I do? I take off my shirt, throw it in the washing machine, take off my socks and throw them away because there's no point in keeping those. And I immediately take Lysol wipes, wipe down my arms, wipe down my face. I don't even know if that's healthy. I do that and then I go put on a new shirt. Now, that, that was, I don't mean gonna lie, you who have kids and have experienced that that, that, that was nasty, all right? There's no way, no way that I could have just walked around the rest of the night with my socks covered in vomit and my shirt partially covered in vomit I couldn't couldn't have done that no nobody could even if that stuff doesn't bother you nobody could do that why because it's filthy it's nasty so what did I do I took off what was nasty and put on something that was clean James in this passage says this you take off what is nasty those things in your life that are filthy and wicked and you replace them with the word of God He says that the word is actually implanted in your heart. The tense of this verb uh, means that it's already in you. So James is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, but what you must do is cultivate it. In order for you to hear the word and receive it and not just let God's word go into your eyes and stop there, or let preaching go into your ear and out the other, or let your life group lesson go into your mind and immediately out, what keeps you from that hap- what keeps that from happening is you must first put away what is filthy and what is wicked. I'll make this statement and I believe it to be true. You cannot receive God's word and respond rightly while still living in unrepentant sin. If there is, this doesn't mean that you're completely perfect because we won't be on this side of heaven. But if you are living in filthy, unrepentant sin, you cannot respond to the word rightly and properly. You may do what is right, but it's not out of the right attitude and it is not the proper response to God. Meaning, if there is sin in your life that you aren't dealing with, either because you don't want to or simply because you haven't yet, you aren't responding to God's word properly and you will struggle at best to grow as a son or daughter of God. James says you must put away what is filthy. Take it and throw it out. Just like I threw that shirt in the washing machine and those socks away, you must get rid of what is filthy. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians four twenty through 24. He's talking to the Ephesians, and he's telling them what they used to be like, and he says, but this is not how you came to know Christ. <clears throat> Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him, As the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self. So take off the former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to what? Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. Some of you may be in this room this morning and you wonder why you used to be growing in your faith And you'll have seasons where you grow more and seasons where you grow less. And I'm not discounting that, but maybe it's been a long time since you felt like you've grown and you think there's another book you need to read or there's another podcast you need to listen to or there's something that you need to do. And maybe what hopefully the Holy Spirit of God is doing right now is saying, no, what you need to do is take that thing in your life that you have not dealt with, deal with it, and put it away. And then at that point, you may see growth that you haven't seen before. He then tells us the fifth thing we need to do. So the the, the first four we've seen, and then he tells us the fifth, which is receive the word with humility. Receive the word with humility. In the ESV translation, it says receive the word with meekness. Right? Receive the word with with meekness. So humility. What must happen in order for you to grow in your faith is you first have to humbly confess that that you're a sinner and that you're wrong. In order for us to even come to faith in Christ, we first have to say, God, we have wronged you. And when you come to someone and you tell them that you have wronged them, it is a humbling experience. But the only right way that we can receive God's word is to humbly come before him realizing that his word can and will call things out in our lives. The word for receiving God's word with meekness or humility is actually the word that Paul uses in Galatians, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the word gentleness. Think about this. You don't call someone who is quick to speak and give their opinion gentle. Typically we call them annoying, right? But you you don't call them gentle. But what is what is James saying? In order to grow as a Christian, you need to approach the word with humility. Humbly coming to God, knowing that his word will pierce your heart, pierce the division of soul and spirit, and like a precise surgeon, begin to pick apart things in your life that maybe he is calling you out and saying you need to do something about this if you want to grow and be a healthy, vibrant child of God. Approach the word with humility. I want to follow up something I said a minute ago talking about when you are quick to speak and slow to hear that you're so full of yourself that you can't hear what God's saying. I also want to say this. You must, in order to, to grow as a Christian, and in order to approach the word with humility, it doesn't just mean you're opening the Bible and saying, God, what are you saying? To approach the word with humility means that there may be a time in your life when another brother or sister in Christ is looking across the table from you and what they're saying may be challenging and it may be calling you out, but if you aren't willing to hear biblical correction, you aren't receiving the word. But if you can hear what someone is saying in your life and though it may sting, it is from God, from his word, if you can take that, you are humbly receiving the word of God. You're able to do so. I would also add that a person who reads the word, and this is, this is, this is a, I would say for any, any pastor at our church, I, I don't know, I, I would say it's a, it's a, a potential problem for them, but if you read the word, because it has been for me, and you immediately think of someone else, and you don't read it, seeing what God is saying to you, you aren't humbly hearing the word. Because it's easy to think, that person needs to hear this. It's easy to think, the person beside me this morning needs to hear this. But that isn't humbly approaching the word of God that is that is being wrapped up in yourself and thinking someone else needs to hear something you don't. So the first truth or first command today is hear the word of God. The second one is this. It's simple. Do the word of God. Hear it. Do it. You hear it, you receive it, and then you do it. Look at the progression James is using. You put away all the things that keep you from hearing God's word. You put them away, right? And when you put those things away, kind of like a distraction that you take away, you begin to hear God's word, and then you can actually begin to receive it. And when you hear the word and you begin to receive it, the only natural response is to what? Do it. That's the only natural response. The right response to hearing and receiving God's word is to put it into action. I would say I have have been on both ends of this over the years as a youth pastor, but I've seen the opposite end of this probably more times than not. Because when I've sat in a room with a, with a, a 14, 15, 16-year-old, we all know that, I'm not hating on the 14, 15, 16-year-olds in the room, but we all know that, that when you hear something, it goes right here and it goes right there. We have parents. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah we know that to be the case. I think it's written on the drive description of every youth pastor in America. You will give instruction that no one listens to. I think that actually exists. But I want to say this. Parents, you know this well. You don't give instructions to your kids simply hoping they will hear it and not do them. No. You give instructions to your kids, whether it's a command, whether it's something you're asking of them, whether it's just you kind of coaching them in something. You give instructions to your kids hoping they will take what you say and put it into action. You want them to do what you've instructed them to do. Hearing is just part one. You want them to hear you, you want them to listen, you want them to take it in, but you don't want them to say, "Uh uh-huh, I hear you, and immediately do something else. That's not why you're giving instruction. You're giving instruction to your kids because you want them to hear you, and then you want them to do it. When God tells us something in his word, through preaching, through a life group lesson, through something, he doesn't want you to simply respond by, okay, that's nice. He wants you to take what he's saying and actually do it. James says, hearing something you're supposed to do without action is self-deceptive. If you, hear, you can hear all kinds of things, right? Theoretical knowledge or, or, or knowledge without any kind of action is never committed in Scripture. Scripture never, never one time says, this is what I want you to know and just know it. Don't worry about anything else. Just know it. No. No, God wants us to take what he says and actually, actually do it. But this takes us back for a second as to why we would even do that in the first place. Why we believe the Bible and why we believe that it is uh, what it says it is. Because we believe the Bible, not not only at this church, but for thousands of years prior to Grace Community Church existing, we believe that the Bible is totally inerrant, meaning it has zero errors. We believe it to be infallible, meaning it will not lead you astray. We believe it to be perfect. We believe it to be from God who is perfect. And since it is from God who is perfect, we believe what this book says is entirely accurate and true. That's the reason why we do it. This book is not a suggestion manual. It's not a a manual for, okay, let me just try to figure out this situation. Oh, I figured it out. Let me close it until I need another situation. No, it is God's word whom he spoke through his apostles who then wrote it down. This is God's word from a perfect almighty God. That's why we do it. If this was just suggestion, then listen to it maybe or not. We believe that this church and Christians for thousands of years have believed that this book is entirely true and accurate, and that's why we do what it says. Look at the metaphor James uses in verse 23 and 24. He says, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. He says, If you're a hearer <coughs> excuse me, of, a, of the word and not a doer only, you're like a person who looks in the mirror." And walks away forgetting what you look like. I would say, I'll, I'll use this as, as an example. The word for looking at yourself in the mirror is, is actually a word that means like you're staring at something with great intention. Like you are looking at yourself in the mirror. It's as if you um, are, are planning to go on a date and you're planning to go on a date, and you look in the mirror and realize, wow, that eyebrow needs plucked. Wow, that pimple needs needs to be taken care of. That, That needs to happen. But what happens is you immediately get a phone call, and that phone call, you pick up the phone and say, hello, you walk out the door, forgetting those imperfections, we'll call them, forgetting those, and then you don't do anything about it. That's not how you would approach that situation. You would approach that situation with, wow, that needs to be taken care of. Let me call you back. And then you call them back once everything is fixed. James is saying you can't just be a hearer and do nothing about it. You must be someone who looks at yourself in the mirror, realizes these are some things that need taken care of because this is what God is pointing out, and then I'm going to do something about it. So what does James tell us to do, and how does he tell us to do the Word? The first one was this, persevere in the Word. This is the first sub-point of this one, persevere in the Word. If you look in the mirror and you see imperfections, you likely try to take care of those. You do. Or if, if you're a person who likes to post loads on social media, you're likely not going to take one photo, one selfie, and post it. You will take as many as it takes to get it right because you want everything that's wrong to be right in your, in your perfect little picture. So what is, what is this saying? You, you'll do whatever it takes to get it right. That's what James is saying. Persevere. Do whatever you must to get it right. In doing so, he says, you will, be, you will be blessed. Look at the end of verse 25. But being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. How will you be blessed by persevering in the word? Because the longer you look intently at the word and the more you let God's word sink into your heart, the more you will look and live like Christ who has saved you. That's the blessing. Here's the, the second thing he tells us. He said the next is to bridle your tongue. Bridle your tongue. He says if you begin to even think you're religious but you can't control what you say, this goes back to to being quick quick to hear and slow to speak. If you can't control what you say, you deceive yourself. Perhaps maybe you can control your tongue. Maybe you're somebody who you actually very much can control what you say, but you just choose not to. Like You're like, I'm a straight shooter. I tell people like it is, and I don't care. That is not commended in Scripture. Proverbs 15.1 actually says a soft word turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. He says we must be able to bridle our tongue, fix what we say. It doesn't mean you won't call someone out. It just means are your word being used to tear down or are your words being used to build up? The last two he gives us are very critical. They almost seem out of place. But if you want to walk with God, these are very much linked to doing the word of God. The, the, The next one is this, visit orphans and widows. Visit orphans and widows. How is this linked here? Because in the the time of of James, James wrote about 45 to 50 A.D. In his time, these two people were the one who had no chance of survival. A widow would be sold into slavery, never to have her life given back to her, and an orphan would be sold into slavery and live as a slave the rest of his or her life. James is saying if you want to, to do the word of God, What is he saying? You must care for and value those whom society does not. If you want to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, you must value these people that society will not value. Matter of fact, in James chapter 2, one chapter over, he says, how can you walk by somebody when it's very cold outside and say, hey man, I hope you stay warm while you have a coat that you can give them? He says, no, that, that, that faith is worthless. No, instead you look at them and say, here, take my coat. I want you to be warm. He's saying you can't be a hearer of the word and not value those people who society doesn't value. The last one he gives us is this: he says, keep yourself unstained from the world. This means spotless. This ties back to the notion of, of taking off the old dirty self and, and continually putting on the new. But how in the world, how in the world can we keep ourselves unstained from the world? by, as Jerry mentioned last week, trusting in, believing in, and then living in light of the gospel. Because where do we see someone being unstained from the world the clearest? We see it in the gospel, right? Jesus was the word of God, God in the flesh. He received God's word. He heard it, knew what his mission was, and at times he didn't even want to do it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed that God the Father would take the cup of wrath which was coming to him on the cross, he prayed that God would take it away, but ultimately he followed through doing the word of God so that you and I who weren't valuable because we are sinful could be made new. Jesus Christ kept himself unstained from the world so that you and I who have been stained by sin could be washed white as snow so that we could be made brand new sons and daughters of God. You see, the the gospel is not only what saves us, it's the motivation for us to hear, receive, and do the word of God. We don't read the Bible and do it because we are worried that God is going to smite us. We read the word of God and do it because Jesus has already saved us. So with that knowledge, what will you do? What will you do? Perhaps you aren't willing to listen or hear what God says in his word. Will you humbly approach him? And say, God, my attitude is entirely wrong. Perhaps maybe you you just struggle. And I can understand the struggle. You you wake up in the morning and it's it's hard enough to get to work on time. Much less think I'm going to open the Word and and spend some time with God. Listen, if it's as simple as three minutes in the morning, if it's as simple as opening up a psalm, I typically do a psalm a day along with some other things. Psalms are usually fairly short. If it's as simple as opening up the word and reading it, Colossians 3.16 says that we should let the words of Christ dwell within us abundantly. If you, might, you could be empty right now, and what you could begin doing is reading, even if it's a small portion that begins to just fill you. Begin reading even a small portion of the word. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to listen to someone who is sharing God's word with you? Are you willing to hear it, listen to it? Or do you not care what, what God may be saying to you? Are you looking at the Word, but then it misses your daily life? I know that can be the case. Is there something you need to take out, something that is distracting you from following God daily that you could take out, and you could begin not only hearing, but doing the Word? This week in, in uh, I think in about five minutes, Jerry's blog will populate. with, and All week, will, it will populate with several ways that you can get in the Word. Because the Bible says, and we firmly believe, that when God's Word goes into your mind and it goes into your heart, it inevitably inevitably will be lived out in your actions. That's what God calls us to, and that's what my prayer for you is, is that what happens is God's Word is not something you hear on Sunday, but it's something that you live out on Monday. So I'm going to ask you, if you bow your heads, I'm going to pray for us this morning. I was... uh, Spending some time in Psalm 119 this morning. It's a psalm that's filled with talking about the word of God. And, and I just felt as though God led me to, to pray this over us this morning. Pieces of Psalm 119. So let's pray. God, we come before you today knowing that if we are in you, you have saved us. God, may you help us to keep your word. Lord, open our eyes that we would behold your wondrous works. Jesus, hide not your commandments from us. May our soul be consumed with you and with longing for your word. Lord, may your word be a testimony, or may your word be a delight to us, and may it counsel us. Give us life according to your word, God. Teach us what it says. Give us understanding of what your word says, Lord, this week as we get into your word. May you give us understanding of what it says. Lord, may we run in the way of your commandments, and when we do so, may you open our eyes to to more of who you are. And Lord, teach us the way of your word so that we can keep to the end. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.